Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast, brought to you in partnership with Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. Welcome back to another Monday. Doug, it's good to be with you again. It is good to be with you. I feel like I should say Merry Christmas or almost there. Almost, yeah. Can we start saying that yet? Well, we're in the season of Advent, right? So we're not quite at Christmas. Our our liturgical friends will correct us very quickly. (laughs) It's not Christmas yet. It's not, stop. It's not Christmas, but in the season of Advent. Happy Advent. Is it happy Advent or is it like... waiting Advent. Good Advent or... So (laughs) so very formal with the head nod. Good Advent to you, sir. sir. So, uh, but yeah, you know, talking about Advent in the season of waiting, anticipating, slowing down, living counter to the culture that says speed up, spend more, or slowing down and being generous more. So yeah, it's happy. It's bl- blessed Advent. I it don't is. know blessed. I like what that. that might be. So blessed Advent. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's good to good to slow down here when everybody's speeding up. But um, yeah, you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about today, you and I have this term. We talk about the Super Bowl Sundays for pastors. Uh huh. And I think the biggest one we would agree would be Easter. Correct. But there's another one that's coming up pretty soon too. Right. Super Bowl Sunday of Christmas Eve. Talk about Super Bowl Sundays for pastors. What does that mean? Oh man. You're not talking football here. No, we're not talking football. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday is, well, it is the day when the pastor has to have this, you know, everyone's there and we need to roll up the best carpet and we need to make sure that there's going to be visitors. And so it has to look this way. And there's this like anxiety that raises. It's like, uh, I think it's like what the special teams coach feels when, when the kickoff goes in the air, it's like their whole body tightens because everything goes terribly wrong in this one moment, Uh. but it just feels like it's high pressure. Uh, it feels like, man, it's like that Christmas and Easter. And, um, I'm sure there's for other churches, there's probably other big Sundays, like maybe the first Sunday back in September, like, man, we really need to knock it out of the park, but it just feels like this overwhelming pressure of like, we have to do something really, we have to outdo ourselves this time. Is that because the attendance is high or because this is tradition. What do you think? Why do pastors feel that that burden? I think in, well, I think for some, it's probably all of those things. I think it is attendance is normally higher. You know, you have your Christers, your Christmas Easter Christians that show up. Um, You have family from out of town, you know, extended family. And you're like, man, I don't want them to think that, you know, their son or daughter and their grandkids are going to some weird church, you know, (laughs) like we, there's that pressure of like, we have to, uh, and, and I don't think it's necessarily spoken about as much as we just feel it. Like mm-hmm. we feel that pressure. Um, I think too, it's, you know, most times when people, at least in, in our community, uh, when people are looking to visit a church, that's normally what yeah, it is because, yeah. you know, grandma's like, yeah, come over, uh, and you can eat all the, you know, great seafood that I made uh, unless you don't go to church. And then you're kind of stuck in the back. So oh. I think it's just, it feels like it's an important thing. And in one, and in some ways I think that's, it, it, well, actually I think most ways it's just unhealthy, just yeah. flat out unhealthy for pastors to feel that kind of pressure. Like, man, I need to do something really special or really good. Um, I think it can be really, really just unhealthy for us. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. you, you know, you, you've done your fair share of oh, Christmas yeah. and yeah, Easter and sure. Uh, is it just resonate with you too or? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. For all those reasons that you listed, I think even just like our church, we don't necessarily dress up a lot, but I think that's, you know, when, when most people do dress up, it's Easter and Christmas or Christmas Eve. And, uh, yeah. And I, there's just that big buildup. Everyone's excited. Tomorrow's the big day. We, I, I mean, there are times I've even worried like candlelight service, like 
Lord, I just, I hope no one gets burned by wax and we don't burn the place down. <laughs> dude, right? Dude, funny story. Oh no. I was a child. Uh, I must've been maybe third, fourth grade and we had a candlelight service and I was holding a quarter in my hand and I dropped the quarter and I bent down to pick it up. My hair caught on no fire. No way. Did you not? It was epic. And my dad's like slapping me on the head <laughs> and like people are like looking over. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> So yeah, you're candle, that guy. I'm that guy. Candle, that every pastor fears. Can, that was me. Candlelight wow. services can be dangerous. Wow, they really can be. Wow. And then like, I mean, the poor maintenance guys. Uh, if you're at a church that has a maintenance guy, like they curse you because they're they're using an iron and wax paper to get yeah, the wax off of the right, ground for right like for a long years, time, yeah. years, yeah. <laughs> years and years. Yeah. So I mean, I think there's also this temptation that. We have to, like everyone knows of the Christmas and Easter story. And so somehow we have to like spice it up or make it a little bit sexier. Uh, do you, do you feel that? Is that temptation oh real goodness. for you? Yeah. It's, I, I think there is that way. Um, it's almost like we think if, if we can say it the right way, maybe someone will, sh you know, maybe it'll really stick this time or, or maybe, maybe this will really help people make a decision to follow Jesus or, or whatever. And, and I think what what I've noticed about that is I have to fight that temptation. Mm -hmm. And I just have to say, man, this story is strong enough on its own. I don't have to reinvent this. I don't have to make it sexy. Like yeah. it is beautiful and it is powerful and it has everything it needs to stand on its own. Uh. And I think too, it's that space where, where I remember the first Easter service I was ever getting ready to preach. Uh, and this is like two years after being on staff at Renew. And you sent me the, a text message, changed everything for me. And this is the huh. text message that I, it's this, the phrase that I use all the time, all week long as I'm sermon prepping, especially in the big holidays or the the big holiday seasons. And it's that the tomb is empty, the pressure's off. Mm. And I think what that has done is it frees me up to say, man, like I get to, I get to talk about uh, not just something that I love, but someone that I love. Yeah, good, uh, And good. I have an opportunity now to allow the spirit to do his work. And it has just, I feel like that statement itself has just revolutionized and redeem the holidays for me. Yeah, that's great. I guess we could say uh, for Christmas Eve, like that, you know, for Easter, the tomb is empty, the pressure's off, but the manger's full, the pressure's off. There we go. You know, the baby Man, did arrive. Look the what baby's you just here. Did. That's good. You know, that's good. Um, yeah. So we just want to encourage you all. Uh, if you're a pastor listening and you're, you know, that you've got a Christmas Eve service coming up and you're planning and, trying to make sure everything is perfect and no one burns down, you know, the place or little kids drop, don't drop quarters and burn their hair that, uh, the, the, the tomb is empty and the manger is full and that the pressure is off. You don't have to embellish, embellish, emboss, uh, garnish the gospel, the good news of Jesus coming down in, uh, in, in the flesh. Mm. And that's, uh, that's a freeing thing. What, a and and that's hopeful, uh, Doug. I want you to just for those who are listening who are non-pastors, and I know we've got a, a significant um, amount of listeners who aren't pastors. What is it like? Give give us just let us go behind the curtain into the mind, the psyche of a pastor on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. What are you What are you thinking? What do you maybe, maybe take a filter off? Yeah. Be appropriate, but I'm just curious. Like, what is it <laughs> that people <laughs> might might be surprised to hear what yeah. will run through a pastor's mind? Yeah. On Christmas Eve. So, yeah, that's a great question, JR. Uh, well, 
I think at first, normally it means that I'm I'm leaving my family earlier than most people. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm getting there. I'm I'm making sure everything is is up. And and luckily, and and this is this is not you know folks from from my church don't feel like I'm speaking this to you. <laughs> but this is like just in general. I mean, I remember yeah. uh, when I was on staff at a church before. My Christmas Eves were my Christmas Eve through Christmas Day was uh, was like sixteen hours at church. Yeah, and a lot of pastors miss their kids opening their gifts. Yeah, yeah. It's, and and so for me, but I think right now it's like you come in and you're just making sure everything's okay and you're looking through things and you know you've left your family about an hour two hours before you're going over your notes again. You're you know the worship team's there. They're doing their thing. They're they're stepping away from their family during that time um, and then you know, the, uh, something always wrong happens throughout any kind of special <laughs> gathering and whether it's, I mean, I remember, uh, one of the kids, I can't remember who it was, uh, threw up in the back. And I remember seeing like a scurry of people exiting. It was like Moses part of the Red Sea. Mm. And, but then I also remember seeing this beautiful picture of folks in our community on their hands and knees, wiping up vomit on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Eve. Like that's, that's beautiful. I mean, yeah. it's disgusting, but it's beautiful. Mm. Um, and then I think once the service is over, uh, I, I'm the kind of person where I just, I, I just, when I'm done preaching, I feel like it's the most vulnerable thing I've done and mm. I want to hide. Mm. Um, so I have to force myself not to. And and then of course you're seeing everyone who's dressed nicely and all the little kids and you're excited cause they're excited and you're, Oh yeah, Johnny looks really nice in that bow tie. And you know, I think he's losing oxygen. You should probably take it off now. Um, <laughs> and then I think what happens is the, the church, you know, as everyone leaves, uh, you're usually stuck or like, you know, you're usually there for another half hour to 45 minutes later. Um, cleaning and just setting things up and even uh, collecting yourself, mm. I think, and leaving some things there. And then you go home and and it just feels like it's sort of this day where everyone's excited but you. Mm. <laughs> and that's mm. that's a weird feeling yeah. to experience. Yeah. They're excited and joyful. And we are too, but we're working. It's and, different. Uh, and it's not, we're not complaining, but right. just, yeah, that's this is the reality of yeah. it. It's a work day for us. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's time off is our big time. Right. Yeah. Espe yeah. Well, especially, I mean, and it's funny because a lot of people, as soon as they're done, right? Like, and, and you've experienced this as your family, your your media family does not live in the area. Right. So right. as soon as they're all done church, they're heading out to like with grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles and and like I'm walking home. I mean, I, I remember walking home to to my house. Um, my, my mom and dad moved away a few, a few years ago and, and yeah, we're just fa family's not close any longer, but I remember walking home in like the snow and it's cold and miserable. And I love the snow and getting home and just being like, huh, like this is it. And I'm walking by all these houses and there's all these like, uh, you know, all these cars parked in front and all these people in there and you just see all this joy and excitement, but it's like, that's just not, yeah. It's, even if we were to do that, I wouldn't be able to get out there till you know, nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. And it's like, then everyone's asleep. So it's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic uh, that I think a lot of pastors experience on those days. Yeah. Every pastor has a different experience, but I, I do know that I've talked to a lot of pastors that feel that, you know, I'm working and everyone else isn't. Even a couple of pastors have confided in me, they feel jealous. Mm. You know, they're very grateful, but they say the hardest times are Easter and Christmas Eve. Uh, especially bigger churches that might have three or four or five, you know, this church I used to be a part of was like 12 Christmas Eve services, you know, uh, they started the day before, you know, so it's Christmas Eve, Eve, you know, and, uh, it was very interesting, but, uh, 
yeah, all good things. It's a joy to serve the Lord, but sometimes, yeah, Christmas Eve can be hard for families. And uh, uh, one pastor said, it's really hard when my kids say to me, dad, how come like we can't celebrate Christmas on Christmas like everybody else? And that can be hard. That's, that can be hard, but it's a sacrifice for yeah. sure. But there's joy, but it, yeah. it can be a sacrifice. And I think too, even, even bringing that, even bringing that full circle, you know, if, if, if you're even thinking in terms of, um, you know, how do I support a pastor and, and, you know, mm. pastors, how do you support pastor friends, mm. folks who aren't pastors, but are part of churches? How do you support friends? I think just even just recognizing that and just giving your pastor a hug on Christmas Eve and say like, thank you for like, I know this is a sacrifice for you on this day specifically. I mean, cause you and, you and I know like every Sunday is fine. It's just those two particular days are right, like, right. You know, it's just different. Yeah. Um, but I, I think too, even some of the hopeful things is uh, for our family, we've developed new rhythms now. Because yeah. And they've been really fun. And what fun. are some of those rhythms knowing you get back later? Uh-huh. What, what do you all do? Yeah. Uh, well, we try to take our time to get back too now. So now oh. my family will hang out with me at church and we'll kind of clean up together yeah, um, and cool. we'll do stuff together. And then uh, a couple of years we've actually, and and we're, we're kind of nerdy, but we've watched the, the, usually there's a Star Wars movie or a Marvel movie or something that mm-hmm. comes out and yeah. we'll go see that. On Christmas Eve. Um, on Christmas Eve. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very and cool. It's just been fun. Like really, really fun. Uh and then the other thing that we do every year is as soon as we get home, uh, we there's a there's a place called Amber Asian Cafe, which is this great, oh, great. It's amazing. It's so good. It's and JR, you can throw a rock and hit yeah, it. Yeah, I can almost see it from my window right now. I would it's have great. diabetes if I lived here. <laughs> And I'm only another two blocks away, but it's like, it feels far enough where just just stay, stay away. Um, But it, but we always, we'll always get a really good meal and like we sit and we laugh and we just enjoy that. Um, And I think some of that is even just embracing that of like, yeah, it is different for us. And like, but that's okay. We're going to make it special and fun. Um, But it is, it's transformative uh, for my family because I think Christmas is really, Christmas Eve is still really special. It's just different. Mm -hmm. Pacquiam describes himself as pastor, author, speaker, practical theologian, and songwriter. Glenn is currently the associate senior pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and the lead pastor of New Life Downtown, a New Life congregation. He's the author of many books. His most recent book is Blessed, Broken, Given, How Your Story Becomes Sacred in the Hands of Jesus, published in 2019 through Multnomah. Glenn earned a doctorate in theology and ministry from Durham University in the UK, and he also holds a BA in Theological and Historical Studies and a Master's in Management from Oral Roberts University. He speaks regularly at conferences around the country, and he's one of the founding leaders and songwriters for the Desperation Band, which has been featured all over the country. Glenn and his wife, Holly, and their four children are enjoying life in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. Enjoy this conversation with Glenn Packiam. Glenn, thanks for the opportunity to join us here on the Monday Morning Pastor podcast. I know you're really busy, so we really thank you for the opportunity to be here. Great to be on with you guys. Appreciate what you do. 
Yeah. Well, we, I was telling Doug earlier, our, your wife, Holly, and my wife, Megan, were in the same cohort in their master's program at University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. And that's, I think, where we first intersected, which was, what, years ago, 15 plus years ago. And uh, hard to believe we're that old, but I guess we are. Uh, but for those of us, uh, th- those of our listeners who don't know about you and your story, just tell us a little bit about your background and your ministry your ministry arc. Sure. Um, I've been at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I've been here for 19 years. Um, I'm originally from Malaysia. Um, When I was 10 years old, my family moved from Malaysia to Portland, Oregon. My parents went to a Bible college out there. Uh, So my sister and I were, uh, I was in middle school. She was in high school. Then we moved back to Malaysia. I finished out my high school years, super involved in uh, our church in Malaysia. And then I came out to go to college at a school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, called Oral Roberts University. Uh, Met my wife there, and um, there was a strong connection from ORU to New Life. And and so I ended up out here in the summer of 2000 as a... as an apprentice to the worship pastor, it was supposed to be a one-year thing. It turned into a full-time job and uh, was a worship leader, a worship pastor here um, for a lot of years. And then in about 10 years ago, began to transition, um, not fully out of music, but started you know, to do less and less of, of leading worship through music and then began leading worship as a preacher. You know, I like to say it's all leading worship, you know, when the people of God gather, but I changed the mode that uh, I did that from. So I began a Sunday night service, uh, teaching and preaching and shepherding. And then uh, that turned into a, a, we eventually launched a congregation in 2012 called New Life Downtown. So New Life has now become a multi-congregational church where each congregation uh, has live preaching, a little bit different ministry philosophy. It's contextualized to the area of town that we're in, um, but shared values, shared resources, shared central services, uh, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I found really interesting is when I was leaving Colorado Springs is about, I mean, I guess it was shortly after that you were, you were moving from worship as your primary to preaching and thinking, wow, he's really doing it. And not only doing it, but you did it beautifully. I mean, God has just given you not just one charism, but many charisms and gifts in your life to see that transition. And you're also an academic, you know, but at the same time, you don't come across as that. So that's one of the things I've loved about you and your ministry is this balance you find you're gifted in many areas, but you seem to transition and slide well and graciously and humbly from one to the next. And so it's been fun to, to see you do that up close, but also from afar. And uh, I know it hasn't always been easy either. And um, I, it was it was literally to the month when we were moving from Colorado Springs out here to the Philadelphia area when news broke about Ted, Ted Haggard, uh, the founding pastor of New Life. And uh, at the time, I believe he was still the president of the National Association of Evangelicals. And so lots of, you know, uh, horrible uh, news coming out nationally, but I'm, I'm curious, what was that like for you? Because I know Ted really mentored you, spoke into you, pastored you. What do you do when you've got someone that, you know, a godly mentor and pastor who's built into you, you find it's living this sort of double life. It was definitely a hard, a very, very hard and disorienting season for us individually, personally, uh, obviously for the church. Um, I was, I was 28 when that was going on 13 years ago. 
So I think even just be it, this being my first um, local church, the pastorate that uh, I've been at since, you know, being out of college, those first six years in my 20s, it, it was, uh, we definitely were very impacted by it. But I think, um, I think that the challenge early on was not so much, man, you know, um, uh, how could this have happened? We understand uh, sin. We understand that, that pastors are human. There's definitely a sense of disappointment. Um, but I think what was what, what took more time to unravel was all the ways that we had accepted a kind of ministry philosophy uh, and a way of being understanding what pastoral ministry was mm. um, that was flawed. And that's not to say that there are, uh, you know, that there's a perfect or pristine sort of vision of pastoral ministry, but there are better ones uh, than others. And, you, you know, like Stanley Hauerwas will sometimes say, what kinds of community, what kind of community makes that kind of action possible? Mm. Uh, I, I think in a similar way, we'd say, what kind of context or ministry philosophy or what kind of church uh, makes it possible for a pastor to to lead this way or function this way where there is a public persona but a private uh, you know failure mm. and uh, and so i would say the spotlight kind of the searchlight turned on our own souls to say mm. lord where's the unhealthiness in our own heart uh, what ways have we distorted what it means to be a pastor what it means mm. to be a church and jr i know you've had you know you've been impacted deeply by eugene peterson i mean it was in those years where we began reading Eugene Peterson's books on pastoral ministry, and uh, a couple of us got some, got to take trips yeah, out there and spend yeah. time with Eugene, and that was like medicine for us. That was yeah. that was the corrective for us to say, look, it's not about mega church or small church. That, that the, the ideal is not in the uh, specifically or, or particularly in the, the the size of the church. It's in our philosophy of what it really means to be a pastor and what it means to be a local church. And so, you know, the TED stuff there, yes, there are several layers of it. There's definitely the personal and moral kind of failure. There's the disappointment. But then there was the unraveling of a pastoral ministry philosophy mm. uh, and ecclesiology even that had to be called into question. And that was the Lord's mercy for us as a church. Mm-hmm. And I know Brady came in shortly thereafter and brought a lot of that new philosophy, uh, which, and, and, and I mean, we're, we're skipping over too. I mean, you all had a, a, a fatal shooting, an active shooter in your congregation, I mean, in the church where lives were lost shortly after the scandal with Ted. I mean, I just, I mean, there were times I thought, is new life going to make it? I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, how much pain can one church handle, you know? Yeah, Brady came in in August of 2000. So the, the scandal broke November of 06. Brady came in August of 2007 and uh, has been the greatest thing. I mean, I've said publicly several times, Brady is the best thing that ever happened in New Life Church. You know, mm. uh, you come into a, a church in a vulnerable place like that and how you decide to lead really impacts things. So he... Uh, he had some made some great sort of governmental uh, changes where we got mm. better local elders that were really overseeing and, and having better accountability. Um, so the, he got a clear systems and structures, the stuff that pastors don't want to think about until you realize <laughs> actually the stuff really matters. Mm. And, and, and one of the signs of unhealthy leadership culture is when people ignore org charts and, and have, you know, decisions are made in secret hallway conversations mm. or outside of mm. meetings. So the org chart stuff, sometimes, you know, churches get a bad rap for, for caring about organizational leadership or, or all of that. But the truth is if it's unhealthy, you have toxic relationships and you have, mm. 
uh, unhealthy ways of where power is distributed, but power that is disclosed can be power that is checked and held mm. accountable. And so all an org chart is, is helping you disclose power lines and authority lines. And Brady was brilliant at all of that. He also helped us with um, um, sustainable pace of ministry. We were all working in a very performance-driven kind of culture, and he helped us uh, embrace Sabbath and sabbaticals and um, non-performance-oriented, which is a, a, a tremendous gifts. And then, yes, you're right, 100 days into his time uh, as as pastor, uh, you know, a gunman came on the campus and two teenage girls lost their lives, just completely tragic. And, uh, and he helped our church kind of rally and say, look, we're not going to be governed by fear. We're going to lean into relationship with one another. We're going to lean into prayer and worship together. Mm. And by God's grace, prayer and worship has been one of the hallmarks of new life. Yeah. From the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So that became that deep root system for us. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. What, I mean, I think of you and, you know, Daniel and others, I mean, you know, the influence that Brady's had and even your father on your own life, I know has meant a lot to you. Um, and, you know, Eugene, I mean, you, you've really, God's gifted you with some support around you, some mentors that have really been helpful. But even in the midst of that, though, there have to be times where despite, you know, desperation band and writing books and, you know, pastor in a large church, that there are still times you have insecurity and you go, what am I doing? And, you know, what do you do with that discouragement, even in the midst of what seems like on paper, wow, there's a quote unquote successful pastor, but you still wrestle with these on the inside. What is that like? And how do you, how do you, maintain or juggle or navigate that when those occur? Uh, personally, I, I've never outgrown imposter syndrome <laughs> and there, there's no amount of, uh, you know, you, you, you're, you're a doctor as well, JR. I mean, there's no amount of, of letters after your name or whatever that you can add mm-hmm. that, that chases that away. Uh, there's, there's always a sense and maybe for me, I don't know, maybe I'll just be a bit vulnerable here as a first generation immigrant. I think I'm particularly prone to feeling on the outside looking mm-hmm. in, you know, so there are many moments mm-hmm. where I'm like, man, do I really, do I really fit here? Do I really belong here? Um, but I think, I think that's where I've had to learn to, to really anchor my identity in union with Christ and in mm-hmm. communion with, with Jesus. And in, in the, that season of scandal and tragedy and not knowing what was going to happen with our church, a lot of things got exposed in my own heart. Um, I, I, I realized how much I had, held on to the external trappings of success, of ministry mm. success. Mm. One of the lies I had begun to believe was that God's blessing looks like uh, the American dream or that God's blessing looks like success. Mm. And so being able to name that and, uh, and expose that and to say, no, that's not true. And, and we don't, we don't know if these things will, will make the church grow or if these things will result in, in, you know, you could write books, but people don't necessarily have to read them or buy them, you know, and, and on and on the list goes. Um, and so at the end of the day, finding intimacy with Jesus and faithfulness to Jesus as the only benchmarks that really matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we talk a lot about, um, with pastors is what are some of those rhythms? And, you know, I, I love the way you talk about faithfulness and intimacy with Jesus. So what are some of the personal rhythms that you have incorporated that, that really help you stay in that pocket? 
Um, we have several things that are across the board. Uh, we, we try, we've tried to build into our staff culture here. One, just starting with the big lens, every seven years, every staff member, not just pastors, but every staff member, every full-time staff member gets a sabbatical. Is that right? Even non-pastors? That's right. Wow. Different links. So That's fantastic. Yeah. So for some people, it's an extra month of vacation, and then they can add a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. whatever, to that. Uh, for pastors, it could be a little longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I think at the, it, the, you know, the, so the length varies a little bit of how mm-hmm. long the sabbatical is. I think the mm-hmm. max someone gets is 10 weeks or 12 weeks, you know, so we're, we're not talking about, you know, massive long sabbaticals, but every staff member. Um, secondly, we try to have a month out of the year that is a total blackout date of the month uh, of the year. So no conferences can be added. No extra things can be added. Like it is like, and, and for a church like new life, that's a, it takes a, yeah. a an effort, effort to uh, clear the calendar for even one month, mid July to mid August, it's blacked out. Okay. Um, and then thirdly, on a, on a regular rhythm, we, we really want all of our pastors to, to not be out more than three nights a week, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so in addition to a regular Sabbath, so those rhythms have been helpful. Um, I think my wife and I have developed some other ones. In addition to that, we try to uh, take a couple nights every six months to, uh, reflect and, uh, hear from the Lord and to plan and forecast for the next six month stretch. And the last year or two, to be honest, we've only we've done it once a year instead of twice a year. But even so, just a way to, uh, you know, kind of remove yourself from the from the rhythm of life and then reflect on 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 um, on how you're living. So Pete Scazzaro's version of the rule of life has been particularly helpful for us and naming some of those boxes and those practices and rhythms in in work and prayer and rest and relationships. Mm. Yeah. So you, you know, you kind of finish that and uh, with the word relationships and, and my sense is relationships are pretty important. You've mentioned that a few times. And so, yeah, talk to us about relationships for you. And I know as a pastor, relationships can be kind of um, uh, challenging, I guess we can, we can put it. So yeah. How, how have you kind of seen relationships um, and the importance of the formation of that in your own soul? It's so good, Doug. And, and I, <laughs> You know, true confession here. The first time I went to one of Scazzaro's uh, conferences and did the rule of life there, this was a few years ago, when it came to that box of relationships, I I sat there and I was kind of stumped because I thought I got all my rhythms for prayer and work and, and rest. But I thought I've not been intentional about the people that I want to connect with. And it's so easy for all of us as pastors to be responsive. And I don't, I'm not saying reactive. I mean, even just responsive. We, we do care about the people in our churches. We do want to get back to them. And so there's emails, phone calls, coffees, lunches, breakfast, dinners. And then, and, and this might sound cold, but sometimes not not all the people who want to be in relationship with us are the same sort of people that we would choose to be with, you know, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and that's okay. It's part of the role. It's part of the shepherd thing. But I think it's really healthy for, for us as, as pastors um, to have some relationships that truly are symmetrical and mutual. Mm. Because in ministry, so many of our relationships are asymmetrical. We're mm-hmm. giving out more. It's more one way uh, of a flow versus mutual. And so it's important to have those kinds of relationships. And so um, I, I've actually kind of developed a little bit of a corny Lord of the Rings theory <laughs> of relationships. So at, at risk of my own reputation, I'm going to give you my... <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. I'm, my appetite is wet. This is so vulnerable now. Oh, man. <laughs> 
um, I, I think we all need friends, you know, and the, this is the Samwise, this is Marion Pippin, you know, this is the people who are traveling the road with Frodo. So I am grateful for friends in my life that I've known for 20 years. You know, I feel very blessed, very fortunate to have people in this town that, I, that we've known each other before we were ever pastors, you know, so the, the kinds of peers and friends. But then secondly, I think you need some, um, some colleagues in ministry who are in different places, but that you can compare notes with. So I have a monthly Zoom call with three other pastors from across the country. And every month we have 90 minutes and we just talk to one another. Hey, what are the challenges you're facing here? What's the deal with your elders? How do you handle this staff issue? What does it look like with your marriage? And that to me in the Lord of the Rings is like the, the dwarves and the elves, you know, they're in the fight with you, but they're not on the same part of the battle with you. Right. <laughs> but you can feel the force of their strength every once in a while. Um, and, and then I think, I think you need a, you need a Gandalf, you need a, a wizard or a sage, someone who can speak in. So, you know, JR, you referenced Eugene. I think Eugene is like that, was like that sage figure um, mm-hmm. for us, but there are others, you know, there are other people who are off the grid, if you will, that you go and seek out. And then I think, I think you need a king, the Aragorn. And, and that role for me is, represents authority and covering. So it's easy in my context because I'm not the senior pastor. I'm an associate senior pastor. So Brady is that. He's the mm-hmm. he's that authority figure. But for other pastors, it may be your lead elder or it may be someone that's, mm-hmm. you know, un- under covering. We all need that covering. Yeah, even a bishop or a district superintendent or somebody like that. That may be in a, if it's a more denominational structure. Right, a bishop or, yeah. A, yeah. Um, and, and then the final piece, the fifth piece is a healer. So when Frodo gets stabbed with the dagger, and I think it's Arwen that, that heals him, you know, we all need a healer in our life. And I, for me, I remember when we started New Life Downtown, and I began sitting in the sort of lead chair of that congregation, I realized that it was a different kind of, it was awakening, it was provoking different things in my own heart that I had not felt before. Mm. And so I began to see a spiritual director and I began to see him regularly. And so whether that's a counselor, therapist, spiritual director, whatever, I do think one of the relationships a pastor needs in his life is a healer. Mm. There you go, there's my Lord of the Rings theory. So good. Close brothers, pastors around the country, a sage or a mentor, a king, a healer. I get them all? You got them. Yeah, man. That's that's awesome. I mean, extra points for our Lord of the Rings listeners as well. <laughs> I mean, that's that's amazing. <laughs> that's great. Um, and maybe that's it. Maybe those are the relationships, what you would want to share. But what are if you had the attention of every pastor for three or four minutes around the country, what would you say? And I'm not trying to ask some like pressure cooked question, but maybe it's that, you know, develop those five relationships in your life. But, but yeah, what would you want to say if you had that opportunity that every pastor had to listen to Glenn Packing for three to four minutes, what would you want to communicate to them? I would say thank you for saying yes to, to Jesus. Thank you mm. for saying yes to the call. And uh, none of us are adequate to the task mm. and none of us fit the ideal mold of this vocation. Uh, some of us lean towards the teacher thing. Some of us lean toward, you know, systems and leadership. Some of us lean towards the shepherd and pastoral care. And 
and we can accept our own limitations and that's okay. Jesus knew your limitations when he called you. Mm-hmm. And so you don't, you don't have to all of a sudden feel like now that you're in this role, you got to be the superstar CEO slash theologian mm-hmm. slash, <laughs> you know, crisis chaplain, hospital chaplain, you know, uh, person. So Jesus knew that. And I think, um, I think at the end of the day, we're in this because we are in love with Jesus, not because we're in love with the church. And I know mm-hmm. that sounds like a funny thing to say, but I, I return over and over again. You know, I think about all that we've been through at New Life over the last 19 years. What's kept me here is because I felt Jesus said, stay here. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I have other friends. Jesus has called, the Lord has called them to other places. That's wonderful. But I always, I've returned over and over again to that passage at the end of John's gospel where Jesus renews Peter's call. Mm. And you imagine Peter being disillusioned and saying, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't think it was going to be this and this and this. And what, what Jesus does to, to renew his call is to say, do you love me? And, and it's so simple. We know this story. We've all probably preached dozens of sermons on it. But it strikes mm. me every time that when Jesus is renewing his call, he doesn't say, Peter, don't you love the flock? Don't mm. you love the sheep? Don't you love the kingdom? He doesn't say any of that. And he says, do you love me? And, you know, the other gospels record Peter's first call, which was follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it, it was about a purpose. But I think the love of a purpose will not sustain you over the long haul. Mm, Only wow. the love of a person will. Wow. And so many of us, we said yes to pastoral ministry because we believed in the purpose of this. And that's beautiful. I just want to say the only thing that will sustain you in the long haul is not the love of your purpose. It's the love of the person of Jesus mm. Christ. So keep mm. following Jesus. Mm. Love it. Love it. What do you know now? So 19 years, a lot of time. What do you know now you wish you could go back and tell your 19 years younger self pastor uh, when it comes to ministry? Uh, it's the long game. We'll never know till the end, um, where the fruit was, you know, and just stay the course. Don't be, um, don't be enamored by the, the flashy stuff and don't be discouraged by the, the people that, that, uh, play the game of heads. I win tails. You lose, you know, there are, mm-hmm. there are some people that no matter what you do, it's not going to be enough for them. Like just, uh, my friend Steve Cuss who wrote a book, Managing Leadership. Anxiety. Yeah, he's been on here before. We love Steve. Yeah, Steve says, lose quickly and then and move on, you know. <laughs> uh, if, that, if it's a game you can't win, just lose quickly and move on. So I, I think I would say that. Don't get too tied up in knots. There is a lie that I have, I struggle with from time to time that I can keep everybody happy. I can win them over and mm-hmm. I can, you know. And you can't. So. Yeah. Just, just be faithful. Again, Jesus knew your limitations when He called you, and let's let's trust the fruit to be revealed at the, when it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm still stuck on you can't sustain the purpose, but you you know you can't be sustained through the purpose, but the person that that's just like messing with my head. Um, but I I did want to, you mentioned something about how when you transitioned into the the you know the the, the senior leadership. Um, and you sat there on a Sunday, you just, you started recognizing all these like insecurities and these things. Would you mind naming some of those for us? Yeah. I, it, you know, Andy Stanley has used the phrase, uh, when you're the most powerful, what to do when you're the most powerful person in the room, it's either Andy Stanley, or Andy Crouch, I think it maybe both of them. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I thought about that phrase a lot because when you sit in kind of the lead chair, you're in most of the meetings you're in, you're the most, you have the most organizational institutional power. And that, 
either provokes insecurities of like, oh man, I don't, how do I know what I'm supposed to decide here? Um, or it feeds your ego or both, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just needed to process some of that. I, I realized that there were things that appealed to, to my vanity or to my ego that I needed to name with a spiritual director and pray through and to, and to have someone else help, Hey, pay attention to this with me. Do you think I'm, I'm, you know, this and this and this and, and, uh, and that's just helpful mm. because we are, we're prone to that. Mm. 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 You know, um, of course our shared love for Eugene Peterson and in many ways I still I think of him often. I miss him. I know you do too. Um, but it makes me wonder, I mean, no one can replace Eugene, right? But we both would put him in that sage mentor realm uh, since his passing, are there other mentors that are sort of speaking into your life the way Eugene used to, knowing he's irreplaceable? Uh, but, you know, what does that look like? Or has that been a struggle for you to kind of find a mentor in that realm? I, I, I uh, yeah, I mean, you're right, JR. There's no, there's no replacing Eugene. And thank God he wrote so much. Yeah, he still mentors, right? <laughs> yeah, and so I, there are other mentors through books that that are mm-hmm. like that for me. I mean, to me, sharpening the saw theologically for me is always returning to N.T. Wright, you know? Mm-hmm. So anytime I can go back to that. So that's great. And I think just locally, uh, one of the, the the things that keeps us from finding other voices or sages in our life is we, we are looking for the all-wise, you know, Gandalf or Dumbledore type of figure instead of the constellation sort of method, you mm-hmm. know? Okay, we maybe we don't have the same north star, but we there are a constellation of voices here and um, that we can kind of glean from. So there's some local guys here. Uh, some of them retired pastors. Some of them, um, you know, run their own parachurch ministries, and um, we're blessed with an abundance of that in Colorado Springs, as you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I've been able to seek out some of those uh, and periodically pick their brains. I just had, in fact, my lunch appointment today was from a guy who's just about to retire from uh, a leadership role, senior leadership role of a parachurch ministry. And I was just picking his brain about, okay, how did you make these kinds of decisions? And how did mm-hmm. you, you know, so it helps. That's great. What, uh, this is something our, you know, you talked about Steve Cuss. We loved having Steve on. We love what he's doing. And so, you know, on his podcast, he always loved to end with this question. When do you feel most fully loved? And so I just would love for you to riff on that. When do you feel most fully loved, Glenn? Um, by the Lord, when I am, um, either with a guitar in my hands or at the piano and it kind of takes me back to like my, my teen years of, of, you know, falling in love with Jesus and, and, and intimacy with him. So if it goes too long before I'm like sitting down at a piano or a guitar and singing my heart out, then I realize, oh man, I'm getting like all crusty. Like I got to do that. That's one. And then, and then just you know, at home with my wife, with our kids, like when we're together um, reading or around the dinner table, which most nights we're at the table together. That's definitely a place of feeling, feeling the love. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, we're so grateful for the opportunity for our listeners to hear from your wisdom. And, and uh, yeah, it's fun to see the threads of relationship, even through the miles continue to overlap uh, and I'm grateful for you, Glenn. I'm grateful for um, pre-tragedy uh, at New Life, your ministry, and I'm grateful for post-tragedy 
at New Life and the way you have stewarded that well, uh, along with others, many others, but really grateful for you and your ministry and how you've stayed grounded too. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, seeing maybe their CV similar to yours haven't always been grounded. Mm. And I've been so grateful for the way in which you've remained accessible and uh, open to how the Lord wants to use you. So it's been a joy to have you on. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate the work. I love Glenn. What a guy. Dude, he I I he just seems like such uh such a genuine man. Genuine and wise. I mean, it's mm. almost like concentrate, like the amount of wisdom per words <laughs> in that interview might be the most like concentrate uh of a uh, concentrated wisdom of anything we've had in two seasons, in my opinion. Yeah. I love that. And the fact that he threw in some Lord of the Rings reference. Yeah, how about it? I was waiting for Gladiator to come out too. Man, <laughs> I mean, and so I think in some senses, like, I mean, the idea of the five layers of friendship, mm. that will be something that will stay with me for me a long time. Um, to have brothers, people that know us, pastors around the country we can connect with, a sage or a mentor a king who has some sort of authority figure or covering on us, even in a non-denominational church. I think that's really important as well. And then healer, a spiritual director, a counselor, a coach. I think all of what he said lines up with everything that we talk about on MMP, but he just put language to it. Absolutely. That was brilliant. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of times as as a pastor who has been in it for a while, we look at ourselves more like Paul's looking for some Timothys. And I think he just added an entire different level of, um, yeah, just, just of, of, of vocabulary to it. That was really helpful. Yeah. And I've heard of like, you know, everyone needs a Paul, everyone needs a Barnabas, everyone needs a Timothy, right? So we need someone building into us. We need to have mutual relationships and then we need people we can build into. But I think this takes it to another level. Agreed. Uh, I'm, I admit I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan. So I was limping along with some of his <laughs> metaphors there in terms of connect. Oh yeah. I think, I think I remember that guy. Uh, yeah, I think I know who that figure is, but nonetheless, like even something he said about most ministry relationships for pastors are asymmetrical, Mm. but he said, we need symmetrical relationships and what, what a wonderful phrase that is. And man, their church went through the ringer. Uh, I I can't even imagine. Oh, I mean, just you're on national news over a scandal. And then just shortly thereafter, you're on national news for the most horrific of things, a, a gunman, an open shooter. Um, yeah. Horrific. horrific. Absolutely horrific. And in the sanctuary, I don't know if they still have it, but in the sanctuary of their church, um, they they talk about God's faithfulness uh, there in, in terms of the gunman um, not having more opportunities to shoot with thousands of people around. Mm. It's a very large church just down the road from them, literally down the road, less than a mile, I believe is focus on the family, focus on the family. Uh, If you go into their lobby, they had an open gunman, uh, uh, an active shooter come in years ago as well, discharged a bullet. uh, didn't anybody, but accidentally dislodged and it actually landed in the ceiling and they kept the bullet hole in the ceiling as a testament to God's faithfulness. Wow. Uh, and protection. So um, anyway, yeah, I mean, um, and it's easy to think, oh, Colorado Springs, everybody's a Christian on every corner. 
having lived there and ministered there for five years, I'll tell you, Colorado Springs is below the national average of church attendance huh. in, in cities in America. So um, there's a lot there, but there's also a lot of uh, the other side, sort of a pushback. There's there's sort of the swell of anti-Christian mm. there as well, which is fascinating. Well, yeah. So I would say, um, just as we're thinking through some some resources and some questions, uh, I I mean, I think a great resource is uh, Blessed, Broken, Given, mm. How Your Story Becomes Sacred in the Hands of Jesus. That's the most recent book written by Glenn. Um, and yeah, I think too, even just sitting in, uh, in, in the end of John, thinking through, uh, man, when he talked about not, you know, the only thing that will sustain you it's not the purpose or, you know, or the program, but it's the person of Jesus. Yeah, and, that was brilliant. I thought that was really helpful. So I think even just sitting in, in the end of, of the gospel of John and just, just allowing the Lord to minister to our hearts in that. Um, yeah. Any questions or resources for you, JR? Yeah. I mean, just bringing up Eugene again, just made me think of the importance of Eugene Peterson. And so if, if uh, I, I just want to recommend to our pastors listening and to read the pastor by Eugene Peterson, uh, as another wonderful resource. But I mean, Glenn was also in the Desperation Band. And so if you want some great, great worship music that was written and or sung by Glenn, uh, if you have Spotify, uh, even YouTube, I mean, iTunes, um, just type in Desperation Band. And uh, my, my sense is you're going to go, I've never heard of Desperation Band. But then you'll listen to the songs and go, oh my gosh, we sing this in our church a lot. Or I know this song. Um, just really behind some rich theologically rich and very meaningful um, pieces of worship um, over the last 15, 20 years or so. So that would be a great resource as well. But uh, I, I think the questions I would just ask are, thinking of those five categories of friendships, brothers and sisters, pastors around the country, sages and mentors, who is the king in our lives, and then who is the healer, mm. um, who are those for you in your life? And if there are gaps to say, Lord, will you provide those? Or what proactive step can I take to move in that direction? So pastors, we're really grateful for you. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. We're really grateful for Glenn and his ministry. But to know that um, whether things go really well or uh, you've hit the bottom, that the person that you are pursuing and being called in, called in to know is more important than the purpose or the cause and may the person of Jesus always be central. And so just as Jesus talked to Peter and reinstated him, maybe you need a reinstatement and you need to hear, do you love me? Not my church, not my programs, um, not the idea of church, but do you love Jesus? And so may you uh, move into your day, into your week, knowing that you're loved and you're called to love the person more than the purpose. God bless and bless God. Have a great week.